Greetings, Amigops, and Top Tenors everywhere. Welcome back to another episode of Top Ten with Kyle and Mike. I messed up the intro, but I'm going to keep going. Let's roll through this. This is Mike from Top Ten with Kyle and Mike. I think I tried to do Kyle's intro, which is different, and I stumbled a bit. Um, So we're excited to have you. We're very excited to have you. Kyle and I are going to be discussing a Top Ten list of Kyle's choosing. I don't know what we're going to be listing, but we are going to do an initial list. We're going to debate that list vigorously over the next 45 minutes, an hour, 45 minutes, who knows. And then by the end of this episode, after the list has passed through this almighty gauntlet, we will have a definitive top 10 list of Kyle's chosen topic. So Kyle, what are we discussing today? Thank you, Michael, for Mm. that uh, fantastic introduction. Uh, I unfortunately am going to have to step on your intro because we probably won't be debating. This will more likely be a list that I just relay to you and then we'll leave it as is. It's time for our second annual... Yeah, it's time for our second annual word of the day top 10 list. Oh, yes, I forgot we were doing you mentioned this to me probably like a month ago and I forgot we were doing it. Yeah, I forgot we were doing it for a while there too. It's nearly February, but I have finally pulled the list together and picked my 10 favorites. Um, And so here we go. There's a lot. There's a lot to get through here. Can you just uh, give quickly the origin story for the audience? Because it was that was a fun part of last year. Yeah, so the the Merriam-Webster's website outlines a word of the day each day of the year, which I was introduced to in my youth when my dad had a Merriam-Webster's word of the day calendar. Um, and since then, I have done it on my own, just gone to their website. And they also have, if you're so inclined, they have a podcast that's like a minute long each day. And my boy Peter Sokolowski will talk through each word of the day and explain its origins, its etymology, um, he'll usually throw a pun or two in there. It's really good stuff, and it's a good way to learn new words, and it's a good way to expand kind of your knowledge of existing words and learn something new about a word you've already used, maybe or words you've heard of but like didn't were never confident enough to use it in a, in an actual sentence. Per and se. I do want to say, uh, among the myriad benefits of the podcast version is and I know I'm I'm rehashing an observation we made last year but you actually get to hear somebody say the word so you don't have to guess yeah. how it's pronounced because uh you and I have both run into that problem so that's a nice benefit. Yeah. And with a lot of these words you really need the help. Yeah. So it's like Hermione uh, instead of Hermoine. Yep, which I thought was the case for probably like at least until Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, uh, logically we all did. Still not sure why, but we all did. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. So the only so the what I used to pick my words was I really my favorite types of words of the day are ones where they're just like fun new words that I didn't know, or they're words that have really interesting etymologies. And so I picked words. There's so many to choose from. So I was very strict. I picked words both that I didn't know. And are cool words, and also ones that have interesting etymologies. So these words have the whole package, for the most part. I'm way into that. I seem to recall the you didn't know criterion was a big part of last year, if I'm remembering right, and I really liked that. Yeah, right. Because, like, it's fun to, like, hear about a word that you know, and, like, hear about the etymology. But that's, like, kind of the fun of, like, listening to it all year long, Whereas this podcast is more for like learning some fun, crazy new words. So that's what we're going to do. 
So I think that's it. I didn't rank these in any order other than order of release date. So this is from beginning to end of year. And uh, and we'll get started. Number 10 is a verb. The word is dragoon. I think we did this last year. Do you know what the word dragoon means? D-R-A-G-O-O-N. Yeah, it's like it's like to Shanghai. I actually think we may have talked about Shanghai last year. It means to like I, we did. For, didn't we? Yeah, it's like to force somebody into something. Like you get dragooned into service uh, for a certain project. You get a gold star. It's to subjugate or persecute by harsh use of troops or to force into submission or compliance, especially by violent measures. So I had never heard the word used before, and I just thought it sounded cool as fuck. It looks a lot for the listeners. Like the word dragon. It's funny you should mention that, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so back in the day, like 17th century France, cavalrymen would run around with these guns called dragoons, which were so called because they looked like they were spitting fire. So, like, it's intentional. It's supposed to sound like dragon. I'm making yeah. <laughs> a face right now, like a really stupid face, because that's so awesome. Right, and so, like, these 17th century French cavalrymen were known for being real dickholes and would, like, <laughs> scourge the countryside and, like, force peasants to, like, do their bidding and shit and, like, give them protection money or whatever through the violent incentive of having a dragoon up in your face. And so the noun gave way to the verb, which means to, like, force someone to do something violently, which I just think is a fantastic progression for the word. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I, 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 for each of these, I've made a, a sample sentence. Like, if, if this were, if this were a spelling bee, and you asked, "Can you use dragoon in a sentence?" I would say uh, the following sentence. I actually, before you continue, I just want to say two things. One, I could you give us the date? I, you may have already done that. And I didn't hear you, but could you give us the date? And the other thing is, um, the listeners will not have the benefit of the inside joke, but this makes the conversation we had before the podcast started much more interesting uh, about using a, <laughs> a word in a sentence. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> uh, this was, uh, this was January 7th, 2020. So this is oh, right out of the coming gate. Coming out strong. Right out of the gate. So it, it, to use it in a sentence, after years of pressure, Dylan was finally dragooned into both reading Harry Potter and watching Game of Thrones. That's that is exactly the sentence. I I yeah. really wish I could claim that as my own. Yeah, it was actually probably even violent at times. Though I think you could probably use this word in in scenarios where there's not actual violence. Yeah, this is one so, I I like to use this word. Uh, Shanghai is it? Uh, Shanghai is typically there's an implication of trickery. Which I know we discussed last year. Yeah. But it's like, if I end up at work doing something I didn't want to do, it is likely I was either dragooned into it by my boss or shanghaied into it by, a, like, a peer. Those are the different situations. That's like, my good... boss doesn't have to shanghai me. He just dragoons me. But my peers can shanghai me into stuff. Shanghai is like you were lured into the office with the the promise of a happy hour and dragoon is like get your ass in here or else you're fucking toast doing this next week or whatever yeah exactly so that was number 10 i was a dragoon uh all right number nine is a noun that came to us on february the 6th 2020 the noun is 
Canard. Do you know this word? C-A-N-A-R-D. It's like an old false falsehood or like false tale. Like a canard would be like, I'm trying to think of a good example, but it's like some, it's some truism that isn't true. Like a, a falsehood that has been repeated so many times it seems true. I would even say that it's a false or unfounded report or story, especially a fabricated report or a groundless rumor or belief. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so you are 100% confident on the, the definition of this word. You're two for two, Mike. That's pretty good. <clears throat> I like, these are both Very great impressive. words, <clears throat> and they both sound like animals. One, a fictional animal, the dragon, and the other, a real animal, the canary. It's funny you mention that, Mike. Because... Is this a joke? Like, this actually has something to do with canaries? <laughs> it's another... It's a different bird. It's not a canary. So, although I wonder if canary has its origins with the same word. So, canard in French is a duck. So, the original French... <clears throat> the original French phrase is Vendredi canard à moitié, which means to half-sell ducks. Which is uh, a... Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> It's a weird colloquialism that means, like, to fool or trick somebody. Um, Interesting. Which, the the origins of that phrase have been lost to time, and no one quite understands why half-selling ducks means to trick somebody. But over time, it meant that the word canard or duck kind of, like, loosely translated into, like, a hoax or a fabrication. And so that's where this came from. That is amazing. And I hope that someday... That will be uh, a similar thing will happen to like on the office when um, Michael tells Dwight when he gets back into sales that they're going to sell uh, a bathroom pass. And I hope that that's I feel like that's the, selling somebody a bathroom pass is similar to selling half a duck. Yeah. <laughs> In the future, a bathroom is like a code word for like a, a dickish ruse from your boss. Bonus bonus usage. A canard also describes uh, a certain kind of. Uh, aircraft if you google it you'll see like if you google like canard airplane you'll you'll recognize it it's like a, a jet where like the wings are kind of not in the middle of the plane they're kind of towards the back you'll see you'll know what i'm talking about but oh that's, also what that's cool i w- is that yeah. like I, I mean i it must have something to do with ducks is that supposed to like look i think like it's because it looks something? like a duck yeah i don't know wow maybe it's oh, it looks like a flying. duck with its neck stretched out in flight there you go. There you have it. Wow. That's cool. That's canard. You go, yeah. canard. Two great words. Yeah. What's the sentence? And uh, you said the date already, right? What was the date? February the 6th. Okay. All right. In a sentence, Jerry confidently assured all in attendance that any speculation about his plans to usurp Mike's co-host title were pure canard. Yeah. Yeah. That is... Um, it is false well it is true in that he's he's big into hiding his intent so i guess it is both a good use of the word and true because he is full of shit about not wanting the seat it's the word he would use to describe that scenario because even though it's true he wants people to think that it's a yeah or fabrication yeah i think you're right on yeah so that was number nine that was canard yeah beautiful number eight Number eight. So those last two, I'm sure you could find a way to use those in a sentence. This next one, I don't. It's it'll be harder. I just thought this the the idea that this word exists 
was really fun to me and I really enjoyed it. So the word is retronym. R-E-T-R-O-N-Y-M from March 12th. It's a noun. Can you ha- Would you hazard a guess to the meaning of this word or do you know it? I don't know the word, but based on the word parts, I would assume it's like an outdated name for something. Like if you were to call a, a, a like a car, like a, I don't know, a buggy, whatever. I'm trying to think of a good example, but so, like a, like a calling a bus a streetcar or something. You're really close. So it's a term that is newly created and adopted to distinguish the original or older version from other more recent versions, forms, or examples. So... The best examples are like, it's basically like when you you develop a new word to describe something that's since been outdated, like an analog watch. Okay. Like back in the like back in the day, you just called it a watch. Oh, like that's so interesting. A film camera or snail mail, like all those things. Like it used to just be a camera, but now it's a film camera. It used to be just called mail. Now it's called snail mail. That's so cool. Oh, I'm so into it. it, So it's like I I, the word itself is is nice because it's I got it wrong, but it's simple like word construction. But I'm just so glad that the concept of a of a retronym exists because it speaks to how alive language is. That's really cool. I know I like it's not like the etymology is actually not fascinating at all. It's retro, which means like bad, you know, in the past and nim is name. So like. It's not that hard to figure it out. It's just like the 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 set of conditions that make this word necessary. I think is so cool. And it says a lot about language, just like to what you're saying. Oh, I'm so into that. It's I'm thinking now about like conventional weapons. I'm now just trying to think of examples. Like conventional yep. weapons only become conventional with the advent of nuclear weapons and so on and so on. Exactly. Exactly, oh, Michael. That's so cool. I like that one. I, I've I never heard this word, but I'm really glad I know it now. <clears throat> yep. Uh, this 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 sentence might be a stretch, but I I I kind of like it. So, uh, with the speedy advent of cloud-based gaming and smart televisions, video game enthusiasts may need to coin a convenient retronym for the PlayStation Five sooner than expected. I'm into it. That uh, that's number eight. That's retronym. Damn, you're coming out strong. I love all three of these words. Yeah, yeah, they're great words. I uh, I didn't come up with a not top three, but I think I could do it really quickly here if I wanted to, or at least a couple. Can I propose uh, a concept for not tops real quick? Sure. My proposal is is the year end words that. Uh, publications like the Merriam-Webster Twitter page or whatever christen as the words of the year or like the new words because I always find those to be really dumb, very topical uh, words that will not be used (laughs) again and I really, I actually I really disdain that tradition not a fan I will do that next year, I like that yeah I'm gonna pick three words that are embarrassing for who they're named after. Oh, that's fun. That's really yeah. fun. How's that? How's that sound? Okay, canard for being named after a duck. Yes. Fuck you, duck. Okay. <laughs> I should be able to do this on the fly. I'm gonna start with solacism. Do you know what a solacism is? It's a noun. So is it is it solipsism with a p? 
There's no P. It's S-O-L-E-C-I-S-M. No, never heard of it. Okay, so a solecism is a an ungrammatical combination of words in a sentence. Also, a minor blunder in speech or a breach of etiquette or decorum. So, like, it's kind of like a like a specifically a grammatical kind of faux pas. Like, if you just misspeak or something. Um, what's interesting about solecism is that it's a Greek word, but it's derived based on the old Greek city of Soloi, where the people had notoriously bad Greek grammar. Like, they, like, didn't understand how to speak Greek. And so, like... AKA, they were just speaking a variant of Greek that other Greeks didn't like. (laughs) Well, yeah, and then the snooty (laughs) Greek people were like, ha-ha, those fools are speaking in solicism. That would be like if you, like, had a habit for misspeaking and i was like oh, there's another micism like yeah, that's literally that's a dick is. move yeah it's really me actually wow <laughs> but that's a great word i like that because it puts a term to a concept that i i'm often pointing out and find interesting yeah like yep. when people so say that my teacher learned me that might be a solecism yeah. that's a solecism for sure yeah uh okay Wait, before you continue now, I actually am curious. I wonder what the distinction is between a malapropism and a solecism. Because I'm like, that's so funny. A malapropism was one of the words of the day this year. Really? I like that. I like that word. But now I'm wondering if there's like a subtle distinction. Well, Uh, hold on. I've got the definition right here somewhere. Okay. I just, I don't know which tab it's on. I have these separated by month. It might be faster to just Google it. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to find it quickly. All right, you continue. I'll do some Googling and see if there's a difference. All right. The next one I have is... So that was a solecism. Next one, this is the word you definitely know. The word is maverick. Uh, Like, you're dangerous, maverick. Um, So the definition is an individual who does not go along with a group or party. But the original kind of outdated definition is an unbranded range animal, especially a motherless calf or an independent. So, like, it originated from this guy named Samuel A. Maverick, who left a bunch of cattle unbranded in his field, and because they were unbranded, they got stolen. And so, like, these stolen cattle that were not branded became known as Mavericks because they weren't a part of a pack and they were kind of on their own, which I think is really cool. And it sucks for Samuel A. Maverick, who lost a bunch of cattle that way. That is amazing. It seems like he was being a little lazy and not branding them appropriately, but that's incredible. Um, yeah. So I've I've Googled uh, malapropism versus uh, solecism. So a malapropism uh, is a word-specific substitution. So it's when you use a word incorrectly, but it's based on the sound of the word. So the example that you get here is to dance a flamingo instead of a flamenco. Whereas uh-huh. a solecism is a is a more broadly um it's more broadly a mistake in grammar. So one is one I think is specific to a word that sounds like another word, whereas yeah, one is it. One is not word-specific, it's grammatical, and it's more broadly defined. I think there's also usually some humorous connotation to a malapropism. Like, the example I'm reading here is if you say that a cathedral has flying buttocks instead of the flying buttress. 
Apparently, it's also named after a character from a play who oftentimes, her name was Miss, Mrs. Malaprop, who oftentimes uh, misused words. I'm sure that name in was intentionally, like, mal is like a, it means bad prop. I don't know how he got that, but anyways, interesting. Wow. That's, I'm uh, so into that. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, let's see. Let's see if I can find one more. One more tough one. Okay, so the last one on the not top three is a verb to boldlerize. Do you know what it means to boldlerize something, Mike? <sighs> yes. Um, it, yeah. Wow. No, no, no. I do, but I don't. Um, so I didn't. Oh, uh, shit. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to guess, but I. I do. You're gonna tell me, and I'm gonna remember, but I. I can't think of it. It basically means to just like clean something up and remove all the vulgar bits. Yeah. Um, which is named after Thomas Bodler, who published um, a book called Family Shakespeare, which is just like a cleaned up version of Shakespeare's works for family usage. That's that. Uh, that's really cool. I, I, that was, that was somewhere in the recesses of my brain, but it wasn't going to come anywhere. Uh, but that's a cool, that's a cool backstory. Yeah. So like when you hear, um, like kids bop that song. Uh, when you hear that song about wet ass pussy, but instead they say wet and gushy, that's been yeah. boulderized. Yeah. So yeah. just that's now a you great know. Call. Yeah. <laughs> so there's an impromptu uh, not top three. Oh shit, dude! We totally skipped. Uh, all of that is invalid. We did not introduce that segment at all. All right, hit. Let's cue that stanky do? beat. Let's skew the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Let's, yeah, let's just cue it back into number seven. Oh, thank you, Kevin. That was terrific. Uh, Very, uh, <laughs> gushalicious. Ooh. Thank you. Ooh. Wet and gushy. Yeah, you got girl, you stank. Take a bath. Take a bath. All right. Uh, number seven. We got two from March. You got two from March this year. This one came on March okay. 29th at the end of the month. It's an adjective. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm like pretty much positive. You probably know this word and have actually used this word before. Um, mm. do you know the word quixotic? Q-U-I-X-O-T-I-C. That's a fun one. Yeah. That's like foolhardy and like heroic but in kind of a dumb way it's like and i'm sure you'll get into the reason why but this is a great one foolishly impractical especially in the pursuit of ideal especially marked by rash lofty romantic ideas or extravagantly chivalrous action like Um, for example if you were to uh what does he do he uh charges at a windmill yeah (laughs) so if, if anyone is familiar with don quixote this is where the term comes from it's literally just an adjective version of quixote um and americanized a little bit so it's quixotic instead of like quixotic or whatever which Um, is a which is weird and i usually resent those sort of um changes but i like it because that makes it into such a fun word like i find quixotic to be such a like it flows very nicely it's weird that it doesn't it doesn't degrade the word in my opinion yeah i I like saying quixotic um it's a good time i wish that some, well, I, I could do it. I think it, it'll be really fun someday to know Spanish good enough to or well enough to read Don Quixote. 
I think that'd be so cool. I'm sure our friend Alex has done that. Well, it's funny. It's that is a great segue. I actually bought Alex, and this was at a time I think my parents thought Alex and I were dating because I bought Alex "Love in the Time of Cholera" in Spanish. And I remember when I bought it, I was so jealous of the fact that I knew he would be able to read it. Like I bought it, and and I if you gave me a very long amount of time and a dictionary, I could figure it out because I. Like, have enough of the grammar and enough of the really basic stuff. But I read that book in English, and it was hard enough. And I was staring at this like, man, Alex is going to be able to read this whole thing. And that was so cool to me. It's so cool. It's especially fun because, like, when I hear the word quixotic, I just think of Alex. Because he's, like, like very much a romantic and, like, kind of does like to do this kind of stuff. Um, a hilarious like a romantic, Kind of, like, too. idealistic way. Yeah, exactly. So it's a perfect word to describe our friend Alex. He's yeah. not the subject of uh, this example sentence that I put together, though, foolishly. The sentence is, oh, yeah. Matthew McConaughey, the king of the quixotic during his rom-com heyday, has parlayed his notoriety into a series of critically acclaimed roles. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> But that's like like basically any character, any lead character in any rom com is behaving in some kind of quixotic fashion. Always in the last third of the movie. Always, always. I I yeah. watched recently uh, <clears throat> something borrowed, which is actually like a really bad rom com, but I like it. I mean, that describes all rom coms that I like. They're all bad, but I like them. Um, and if I remember right, I think it's Jim. It's John Krasinski is like the the spurned yeah. love interest who's. Making his quixotic quest to transition his friendship into a romantic uh, situation. So you're right. I've on. weirdly seen that movie. It's because the guy uh, whose name is Dex. Dex? It's something yep. weird. I think it's Dex. Looks, Looks just, like, just Dylan. like Dylan. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about this before. Probably on this podcast. Mm-hmm. For sure. Sorry, Dylan. All right. He's handsome. He's a good looking dude. <laughs> Sorry. He's a very good looking man. Yeah. That was that was number seven. That was quixotic. We are going to skip April and go almost to the end of May. May twenty fourth brings us Xeriscape. X e r i s c a p e. Xeriscape. It's a noun. Do you know this this word, Mike? I don't. I want to try to guess though. I wonder if it's like. I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb. I'm gonna say it's like a Xerox, but like a, a scape, meaning like a world. Like it's a like a close copy of our real world. How about that? I wish that's a way cooler definition. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this word doesn't have like a super cool backstory. I just think it's a really useful word, and I think it's one we'll likely be using. So you should know it. Okay. Uh, so the prefix Ziri. Uh, means dry or arid so like i don't know how that goes into xerox um or if that's i wonder if it's because the copies were dry like when it comes out like there's no ink wet ink i don't know maybe wet ass ink baby uh <laughs> the definition of a xeriscape is a landscaping method developed especially for arid climates that utilize water conserving techniques Oh, can so, I just um, guess? Can I do the sentence? I want to do the sentence before you even do it. I I won't say the sentence. I just want sentence. to say I I hope the sentence is Breaking Bad related. That's all I have to say. 
It was inspired by the um <laughs> the uh basically the office what's the name of the law firm that Saul works for? The really nice one that he like gets fired from intentionally. Oh, the one with the yeah, with Ed Begley Jr., right? Um the yeah. dad from yeah, oh, shit, I don't remember. So there's Hamlin, Hamlin and McGill. It's not that. Whatever, yeah. With that that one. Yeah. But like that office, like it's like very clearly in New Mexico, right? Like everything looks very like Southwest and everything. Um, and that kind of inspired the sentence. So the sentence I've chosen is, in addition to giving the office a distinctive Southwest vibe, the zero skate planters save the building thousands in irrigation costs per year. So mm. like zero escape includes like, there's all kinds of stuff like, like water, like really low water plants. So like succulents and stuff like that. And there's like, this is like a whole like subdivision of of architecture and like building construction nowadays like like you act Alicia's actually probably knows a lot about this because like she's lead ap which is like it's like a certification that means you're like well versed in how to construct a building environmentally uh consciously and especially in the southwest like a lot of the measures are towards reducing air conditioning costs and reducing water costs um, and so this is just like an important word to know for like, for, like we're probably going to start using this word a lot in our <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> probably, yes. Probably towards the end of our lifetimes. Uh, it's going to take on an outweighed significance. Uh, and it's already, I think, kind of a big hot button issue in places like Nevada and Arizona. And likely before we're dead will be a big issue here. So it's a good word to keep in your back pocket. I'm so into that. The only thing I don't like is the way you keep saying when we're all dead because it it makes it sound like there will be a cataclysmic climate-related disaster and <laughs> we will all be dead at the same time. I'm not saying yeah. that, this is, that you're wrong, but it's just the way you're describing this. We'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed that we all die just at different times. Different times, yes. So that was number six, Michael. That brings us to the top half of our list. This word, I'm pretty confident you know. Number five comes to us July or uh, June the fifteenth. It is a noun. The word is bellwether. B e l l w e t h e r. Yeah, th- uh, there's definitely a. Uh, I want to say I know the the uh, origin behind this, but the meaning is like a. Um, it's like a a reference or a benchmark where you'd say like. This is this is the thing against which other things are measured. So, like, you could say it's common to say, like, um, you know, GE is a bellwether for the stock market would be like a good example. Yeah, that's a good example. The, the, the definition is one that takes the lead or initiative or a leader also in uh, or sorry, an indicator of trends. So, like, in that specific example, like. A, a certain company as a bellwether would indicate like whatever that happens here, like likely is uh, presaging something that's going to come with like the rest of the general market or whatever. Yeah. And can I, can I say what I think it comes from? Yeah, please do. It's like, it's literally what it is, right? Isn't it something to do with like a we- a bell that tells you the weather? Is that what it is? This, that is that where that comes from? Or am I making that up? Close. So it's two, it's a two part word bell, which means bell. Yeah, and wet weather, which is like an old, uh, I think an old English term for a sheep. So, 
Um, oh. Basically, the the old the old practice was that a shepherd would put a bell around the neck of one sheep, and then the other sheep would follow that sheep around. And so, like, rather than like herding an entire flock of sheep, you just have to make your bellwether go where you want it to go, and the rest will just follow that one. I mean, that um, is f- somewhere between 12 and 15 times cooler than the register <laughs> I had. I was picturing, like, a bell on top of a ship. This is so much better. I really, really... Because I, I had the same preconceived notion that you did, and I really like that it's, like, slightly more simplistic than that and, and yeah. more pleasing, I think, so... Oh, that's um, so cool. I'm picturing, like, some craggy old shepherd just like, <laughs> you get over here. And, like, he's got a weird name. It's, like, Melvin. Like, the one sheep's name is Melvin, and that's the bellwether. I just love that, like, at some point, like, someone was clever enough to, like, use, like, that word to, like, m- make it more, to make it less literal. Like, oh, Seamus started, uh, like, doing this. He's a real bellwether. Like, I just... I love it. It's really fun, so, and I think w- we've talked about this before. And I and I'm going to make a weird connection, but I was mentioning recently that I read that book um, in the uh, under the banner of heaven about the rise of the Mormon Church and how Mormonism in the United States is this weird religion in that it has risen in a time of like broad information. And so it makes the weird sort of fog of history less foggy. And so we have more visibility into the stuff that has caused its religion to rise. And so I think you lose some of that inherent mystery of an ancient religion. And it's the same with language. Like recent stuff that I'm shitting on about the sort of Merriam-Webster word of the year is only that annoying and transparent because it's recent but at some time in the fog of the past where we're forgetting about it because we weren't there and we're just ignoring the origins somebody was like bellwether seriously that's dumb you're just saying sheep bell but because it's sort of been the rough edges have been smoothed over by all this time to us it just seems like a cool and interesting word well, give it, give it like, give it like two hundred years, and people will be using the word. Well, maybe like, but an example is like people will be using the word "muggle" to describe like any person that doesn't have like a necessary or like admirable quality. Whereas right now, if you use the "muggle" in a sentence, you'd be like, "Stop being such a Harry Potter dweeb." But in the future, yeah, because Harry Potter will have disappeared, and so the context will have been erased. And to people, it will just be a fancy and interesting sounding word that replaces a, a word they've already been using. And so it's, I don't know. I think that's such a neat aspect of language. It's so cool. So that was number five. That was Bellwether. Was there a sentence? Number I think we missed this. Did, we, did you do the sentence? Oh, I will now do the sentence. Uh, as a fashion Bellwether, Cody could easily get away with wearing seven eighths pants without looking like he just shrunk them in the dryer. For sure. I just want to say for uh, for the, the listeners who were not at your wedding, Cody and his wife um, had a matching floral outfit. He was wearing the suit. She was wearing the dress cut from the same cloth. And it was just a truly magnificent combo. So uh, fashion bellwether uh, he is for sure. And he was wearing seven eighths pants on that occasion. Like, as at I recall, least the, yeah. at, at, at least... 15 months before it was cool yeah 
My brother-in-law, Seamus, is uh, seven-eighths might be a little generous. He's more like maybe uh, 13 uh, sixteenths, I would say. <laughs> Somewhere in that ballpark. So kudos to you, Cody, our, yeah, fa- nice our favorite fashion bellwether. All right, now I'll do number four. So number four is the word. It's an adjective that came to us on June 30th. You get two from June. The word is louch, L-O-U-C-H-E. Yeah, so that one I think means um, like I, I think it's like crude and uh, like unrefined and sort of uh, like you would. Ref- I think you would refer to a person as such, like a like a cad might be referred to as such. The definition is not reputable or decent. So yeah. You're right on. This must be real a real bummer for you. You've known every word on this list already except for Xeriscape. No, I didn't know retronym either. And oh, I yeah. All right. didn't know solecism and I like 4% knew Baudelaire eyes. So no, <laughs> I've, I've learned plenty. So uh, yeah, Laush is, is, a, is a term you'd use to describe someone kind of shady or seedy. And that is where the real interesting part comes from. So I didn't know the word in the first place, but I really like its etymology. So Laush... Lausch in French uh, used to mean like literally like having poor eyesight, um, okay. like you were unable to see, unable to see well. Is that like is there some sort of syphilis connection or something? <laughs> yeah, if you can't see well, it's because you've got the plague, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which led to people using the term to describe people that were like, like, like squinting a lot because they couldn't see well, which okay. in turn like. Which in turn like implied that you were kind of shady, like if you're just walking around like squinting oh. at everybody. <laughs> so if you're so Lausch transition from <laughs> That's being so good. Yeah. That's really ridiculous. Like, That's so ridiculous. Like that is, I really like that. That guy is really squinty. He must be Lausch. Yeah, and, like, I'm picturing some so, sort of like cartoonish villain, like yeah. I love that like, it was two it was like me and you, and you knew the word, and you were like, look at that Lausch fellow over there, meaning like Look at that fellow with poor eyesight. And I didn't know the meaning of the word. And based on context, I assumed that you meant like disreputable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you were like, I don't know what he means, but that guy looks because I can Shady. tell by the way he's squinting, he's up to no good. Yeah. So I was like, I'm by context, I just figured out what Lausch means and like interpreted a completely different interpretation of it. So I think that's a cool etymology of a fun word. I really hope that's the actual story. I, I do too. I trust I trust Peter Sokolowski at Merriam Webster, but I don't I, I I would love to like I don't know, it'd actually probably be really boring. I'd like to sit in on like them trying to figure this shit out. Like just them pouring through like textual references and like seeing how the word evolved over time and like how they figure this shit out. Like how would you even go about like determining when that transition I do find like as a broader question primary source history and things like that to be really interesting because for me where like my my set of references for stuff I would write about like if I were to write a non-fiction book so if it were contemporary it might be like oh I happen to know Kyle who is a prominent you know uh engineer and so I'm gonna write about his life so I could write a primary source contemporary non-fiction book but to think about history, I am not interested enough in anything obscure enough 
to do actual primary research, but at some point <laughs> somebody did. You know what I mean? Like it's a really interesting thing yeah. where you would have if you were the person who was like, I want to research egg cartons through the ages. The question of how you do primary research on that is so fascinating to me because you can't you can't do secondary research. I wouldn't. Yeah, there's no <laughs> material. Yeah, I don't. I, that's so weird to me know. because so much of that I think is still so. Uh, as you were saying earlier, from the retronym word, it's so analog. Like you just genuinely have to go diving into stacks and libraries, which is cool. It must be like that. Must be how they do it because I don't know how else you would. So I don't, I don't know. know. I, I feel it's like you and I are both appreciators of. Um, I know you and I both really like Excel. And uh, like I think about it that way where, and I remember this from when I got to do real papers in college, learning the joy of building a really solid foundation and then having the final product basically do itself and how fun that is when you do like a really good outline of a paper you're writing or you do a really good data tab in an Excel document that's then going to feed your formatted tab or something. And you're like, oh, this final product is super easy because I built the foundation so strong. I would imagine the feeling of having taken a dive into the stacks of like some underground library in in rural England and being like, oh, I discovered the undiscovered text on egg cartons from the 14th century and just having that feeling that the paper is going to be so easy to write because you're the only person with access to this reference must be so satisfying. Like it would be, I would imagine if you're doing that sort of work, all of the work is in finding your references. It would have to be. I wonder if they just like, I wonder if there's people whose job it is to just like, like put this stuff in a database. Like just like, it's the indexing, right? Just like transcribe all this shit. And then, so someone else can come along and do a like literally just control F and find the earliest known use of the word Lausch. But like the more, the more data, like the more material you have in there, the more confident you can be in like tracing that lineage. I mean, that's all it is, right? It's just tagging. It's just indexing. I was, it's funny. I was talking to my dad about this with an Excel document. He wanted some help on like, all you have to do is index things properly and then everything else gets easy because you just you just combine that information in ever more complex ways. But if it's indexed properly, everything is easy after that. And I feel like it was you, me and Dylan in college talking about the project to digitize all of those uh, physical texts on the Google Books, whatever you call that platform. And it was literally the work of getting people to take a piece of paper and scan it, like physically scan it. And it's it's just fascinating because that work is so painfully labor intensive. But once it's complete, and obviously that's a task that can't be complete, but you know, yeah. when it's 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 done to a certain degree, all of the things that you can do off of that work is just it's it's almost unfathomable how powerful that is once you complete the the really annoying, grueling groundwork. Well, it's like, it's, it reminds me of how my, like, exhaustive cataloging of all the movies I've seen on IMDb. Yeah. Like, like, that process to do it was such a pain in the dick. But, like, now that it's done, it's a really, really useful tool for me to put lists together. Great example. I can, because I can sort by release date. Like, that's what I did 
when we did our Jerry podcast, I just sorted by release date and by genre. And so I had all of my post 2000s comedies right at the top. But anyways, we're far enough off track. I know, but I'm so, but I think that's such a cool topic. I'm glad we had five minutes to nerd out on it. Yeah. <laughs> but inevitably, when we do our top 10 Excel functions, I think index is probably number one. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty powerful function. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I was number four. So there's, there's so many honorable mentions. Like, pretty much every word is interesting in, in some way or another. I'm going to pick a couple that I thought were fun um, or interesting or ones that you should know about. So one is um, perquisite, which is not the same as prerequisite. A perquisite is a perk. Like, that's literally where the, the word perk comes from, which I didn't know. Like, I thought perk was its own word. And it's not. It's just a shortened ver- a form of perquisite, which I thought. I was had the cool. same experience recently with the term wreck. Have you ever heard the phrase like "let's open a wreck for work"? Has somebody have you ever heard that? No. It's the same situation. It actually means it's short for requisition. So it's like oh. the phrase people would say: "You order a you you create a requisition form for a new position," and so like, "Oh, we oh. gotta open a wreck for that." Perk was the same thing. Cool. That's good to know. Jibe. So I. So jibe, G-I-B-E, is like to tease somebody, but J-I-B-E is to be in accord or to agree. It's the same as jive. Yes, which was also a word uh, of the day this year, believe it or not. So that's interesting. I think like this, a word like a word like ninja, like wouldn't make the top of the list because it's so commonly used, but it's literally from the Japanese nin, which means to conceal or move stealthily and ja which is person. I just love how simple that is. I'm not sure if you were aware, but to the ninja, invisibility is a a matter of patience and agility. I heard that somewhere. I don't remember where. I I don't remember where I heard it, but I did hear it somewhere, yeah. Uh, The word berserk, which I'm sure you know, is named after the old Norse berserker, who were warriors who wore bearskin coverings and worked themselves into such frenzies during combat that they became immune to the effects of steel and fire. The word Whoa. literally means bear. The word literally means bear shirt. <laughs> so cool. oh, that's so cool. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, that's um, awesome. That's a good one. This is a fun word because it's just something that happens a lot. So like when you get up and you stretch out like this and yawn, that's called pendiculation. There's a medical term for that. Wow. Which uh, I really is liked. Is it from the origin dick? Yes. Uh, dick from the old Greek, which means penis or genitalia. Oh, it's pen <laughs> dick. It has both pen and dick in it. Yeah. All the dicks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's um, dick? <laughs> I like dick. Uh, here's a fun one for you, Dylan. So, you know the word stymie, I'm sure? Like, to stymie somebody, to to thwart them or kind of block them. It's a Scottish word that originally meant placing your ball, your golf ball, between your opponent's ball and the hole. Whoa, that's so cool. And back in the day, they didn't have, like, pussy-ass markers where you would move your ball. It's like... (laughs) I really like that because I do think... That's actually really interesting because there's definitely other... Golf is a common source of crossover words. And now I'm kind of curious, like, what comes first and what comes after. Like, to duff, like, you duff your shot. I wonder if that's 
a word outside of the context of golf and it's become a golf term or vice versa. Yeah, longer, L-O-N-G-U-E-U-R, which I thought you might like because it's kind of got literary origins. A longer is just a dull or tedious passage or section. So like, I can't wait to use this in a book review. Like, once you get through the longers in the middle, like you'll really appreciate the ending. I just I've I never heard that. I like that. Yeah, because it sounds one. like longer. Like yeah, that was a longer yep. passion passage than I hoped. Yep, this is a cool word for all you uh, engineering and physics nerds out there. Stiction, which is just a combination of static and friction, and it's the force <laughs> required to cause a body that's in contact with another to begin to move. So it's like literally the force associated with the coefficient of static friction, which is cool. Like, I'm glad that word exists to describe that. Wow, I'm into that. Yeah. Uh, The etymology of this word is insane. So crux, like the crux of the matter, like the key point. So originally a crux was a medieval torture device, which then the term then started to be used to describe like the pain that you would experience from being having the crux used on you. So crux became a word that meant pain. Uh, And then it started to mean like a painful or taxing problem. And then that transitioned into being the essential problem in a legal case, like the crux of the matter. And so that's how it became what it is today. I just think like that, that progression is like so circuitous. I just think, yeah, really, it's really interesting. That's really neat. So is, am I right in thinking? So I would have said that this was from like, a cross like a crucifix like is this is is the torture device like the cross is that am i right in thinking that i bet it has something to do with like being crucified yeah wow that's such a cool (laughs) path it took this one just because my dad used to come to the dinner table every day with his word of the day and um so like literally hundreds of, of many which i have forgotten or i just like don't remember that that's how i know them but one that the two that always stick in my mind that I know from like that specific instance, one is pachyderm, which uh, comes from the Greek pack, which is like hard or rough, and derm, which is skin. So a pachyderm is a term that describes like an elephant or a rhino, like any animal with like really thick skin. <clears throat> and then the and then the other word is uh, prehensile, which is like it means adapted for seizing or grasping, especially by wrapping around. Like you would, you would describe like a lemur's tail as prehensile. So that just seeing those words this year, like made me really happy because I remembered hearing them as words of the day back when I was a youth and my dad was sharing them at the dinner table. That is really cool. And those are two fun words to have learned as a young man. I do like, uh, your dad is, is such an obviously curious person and it's so clear how that curiosity has uh, been passed down to you. That's fun that that's the legacy. Yeah. The third one is bumbershoot, which is a fun word uh, that means umbrella. I feel like you have said that before. I was going to say, you're a bumbershoot guy, I feel like. Oh, yeah. That wasn't a word of the day this year, but that's another one that my dad likes to use <laughs> a lot. <clears throat> so there, we just went through like 10 words. There's about 340 more that are fun. So look into this next year if you didn't this year. So now I will try to get through the top three. We are approaching an hour here. Number three is a noun. That you might be able to figure out even if you don't know it just because it sounds kind of like what it is. The word is bunkum. B-U-N-K-U-M. This was uh, September 9th. I believe bunkum is like um, something that's incorrect or like false, right? It's like 
something is bunk because it's bullshit. It's insincere or foolish talk. Nonsense. So, okay. Oh, wait. I forgot to use a sentence for... I forgot to use a sentence for Laush, and I want to go back for it because it's a really good sentence that I'm proud of. All right, let her rip. Go. Is it about Alex again? No, it's about uh, the movie Den of Thieves. Den of Thieves! So, uh, is it about Den of Thieves or the sequel Den of Thieves? Den, this is from Den of Thieves, not Den of Thieves. Gotcha, okay. So the sentence for Laush is Big Dick Nick <laughs> sauntered into Ziggy's Hofbrow. <laughs> Knowing somewhere amid the Lausch clientele, he'd find the lead he needed. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. Yep, that is correct. Yep. Big Dick Nick. <laughs> Played by Gerard Butler. All right. <laughs> or as they say, large appendage Nicholas. <laughs> His dick is prehensile, Mike. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right bunkum so anyways back to back to bunkum so bunkum it sounds like what it is the fun part about bunkum is that it is based off of a speech given in congress in 1820 um about bunkum county north carolina which everyone in attendance everyone in attendance agreed was a complete and utter waste of time and in fact wasn't even factual in any of its stipulations and so that's how bad your speech has to be, such that going forward, the word bunkum just means like utter drivel. I love it. That is gold. That's bunkum. Uh, is there a sentence? I did make a sentence for this. It goes, by placing stripes at number two on a list of Bill Murray movies, Kyle accidentally implied the bunkum that it was a superior movie to Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> It was an accident. And like I it said, was an our, our uh, third-party uh, validator, Jerry, was uh, on board with uh, Stripes as number two or three. So, For what that counts. Oh, really? I misinterpreted I, your text. Oh, I misinterpreted your text. Okay, so meant- he, he said his... I asked him his top three. He said in some order... Oh, well, in some order, Caddyshack and Stripes were three and two. And then uh, number one for him was clearly um, Lost in Translation. Okay, that's good. That does make you feel a little, a little better. Yeah, you're good. Again, for okay. what his validation is worth on that front. Uh, all right, number two then. I like this word a lot. I don't know how often I'm going to be able to use it in everyday conversation, but I really like it. Uh, this is from October 4th. It's a noun. The word is meliorism. M-E-L-I-O-R-I-S-M. Do you know the word? I don't, but I want to guess because the term ameliorate means to like lessen the impact of or to like help heal something. So I want to say ameliorism is mm-hmm. like a consoling phrase or word. That's really good investigative work, Mike. You're pretty close. Okay. Um, the two the two root words the two root words are related. So like m e l like melia like ameliorate meliorism is the same root. It means like to improve or to make better. And so meliorism is defined as the belief that the world tends to improve and that humans can aid in its betterment. That should be the word of 2020 or 2021. Well, (laughs) here, I'll use it in a sentence. (laughs) Given the preceding four years, the politicians' appeals for comedy and bipartisanship elicited meliorism at best. (laughs) So it's... 
it was relayed to me um, as like kind of a midpoint between pessimism and optimism. Like optimism is the belief that like oh interesting everything is rosy and like that's just how it is. But meliorism is like slightly off that. You don't necessarily believe that everything is going to be okay, but you do believe that over time, things do generally tend to improve. I'm going to botch the Dr. King quote, but it's like the the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice kind of thing. That's exactly how I think of it. Yeah. Which like, I don't, I would say I'm, I'm, I usually would say that I'm closer to the optimism end of the spectrum and the optimism end of the spectrum than pessimism. And I'm wondering if meliorism, like, kind of perfectly kind of situates me. Like, I think this is kind of where I'm at with things. Like, given enough time, I think that people are genuinely going to make things better. It just takes a really long time, and we don't always do it right on the first try. <laughs> well, it's sort of like that. I'm sure you've heard this, like, the the uh, comparison people will make where they say the, the worst off uh, peasant in America in modern America lives better than the best off King from 200 years ago. And that is not a, that is not an optimistic comment on the distribution of wealth (laughs) and opportunity in our society, but it is an optimistic comment on the trajectory (laughs) of human welfare. It's a very melioristic uh, position to take, I guess. I really like it. I like, I read that and it kind of made me, I like, I just really, associated with it like i I felt like it it explained a way that i think about things i like and i like that there's a it's a kind of a common uh for some of these like retronym is a good example of this where it's i'm glad that there is a term for this concept um some of these things like like bunkum is a is a is redundant in the sense that there's plenty of other words that convey the same thing. It's a cool right. and fun word, but meliorism is seemingly kind of on its own in that it precisely captures something in one word that otherwise I'd have to capture as it's the midpoint between optimism and pessimism, which is a longer and more complicated way of saying it. Precisely. It's perfect. It really fills in a gap that was existing that brings us to number one, which is not necessarily the best word of the year, but was the last one, chronologically speaking. This one came from November 8th. It is a noun. I'd be interested to see if you know what this word means. The word is octothorpe. O-C-T-O-T-H-O-R-P-E. Octothorpe. I do not know that one. For some reason, it doesn't feel entirely unfamiliar, but I I don't know it. I have no idea what it means. It's also one that's really hard to parse out because of its component parts. Yeah, the Thorpe part. Octo, I'm like, I can't figure that out, but the Thorpe, I have no idea what that is. Well, (laughs) you'll see why soon. Uh, So an Octothorpe is the pound sign, otherwise known as a hashtag. That's like the actual term for that symbol. Are there eight? lines in that or something there are four intersecting lines so eight making eight points interesting so that's where the octo comes from the thorpe part of that word (laughs) is literally a mystery so like like the the range of theories espoused for where the thorpe part came from is actually the best part of this word so the word originated around the same time that like people started making telephones and so some people like literally think that that it may have been, like, a typo or, like, a mispronunciation of another word of, like, one telecom employee speaking to another. 
Like, literally, some people think that someone may have burped while we're laying, like, what this word was supposed to sound like. Right. Which, like, that's ridiculous and probably not the case, but the fact that, like, that's something I read about means that the thwart part of this word is, is like, completely fucking unknown. I really but, like that, though. I hope, I, I hope that that's what happened. The other theories are that it has something to do with Jim Thorpe, the Olympian athlete. I was going to say, I hope this has to do with Ian Thorpe, the Thorpedo, the great Australian swimmer. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that. It also bears a passing resemblance to an old English word, which means village. But nobody really has any idea where the Thorpe part of Octothorpe came from. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I will now use it in a sentence. (laughs) Believe it or not. Please do. (laughs) The sentence is, get off my lawn, you damn kids. And by the way, it's an Octothorpe, not a hashtag. (laughs) That's the best Amazing. That is amazing, and that is exactly the only person who would say that is the person who would be telling somebody to get off their lawn. That is well done. Or telling them that, no, they cannot smoke cigarettes in the backyard uh, or in the house. Or And you can't smoke a bowl when you get home from work. (laughs) Oh, my God. Kyle, my life. My life. Oh Jesus, Octothorpe. That's so good. I'm so I'm so into the mystery at the center of that. Like it's funny because so many of these words, like bellwether. I'm yawning, excuse me, excuse me, excuse Okay, the yawn is over. Um Bellwether (laughs) is a wonderful story because of its clarity, and Octothorpe is wonderful because of its mystery. Um I just really like that. It's it's rare that Peter Salkowski is like just throws his hands up and yeah. is like, we don't fucking know. We have no idea. And this is one of those words. So amazing. I hope it has That's to do with a- I, I I'm not sure if I vote for Jim Thorpe or Ian Thorpe, but I'm I'm hoping it's related to one or the other. I hope it's one of those Thorpes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that uh that was the, the those are the ten words that I picked. There's a amazing. whole lot more out there. If people like this list, there's a there's a very good podcast for you. Or just do what I do and when you sit down with your morning coffee, when you get to work and you're settling in, read the word of the day. It takes only 30 seconds before you get into it and you learn something new, probably. Also, um, unlike the news you're reading uh, when you do that, like like the rest of us, when we sit down at our desk at work, it's not either A, useless, like the sports that I would read, or B, depressing, like the actual news you read. Like, this feels like it <laughs> right. occupies a really positive space in that it's not depressing and it is not useless. It's it's really, like, a good way to start the day, I would think. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's a nice part of my day. It could be a nice part of yours if you like this podcast. Nice. Well, do you want to run through the words uh, before we say yeah. our final notices? Yeah, I'll run through these. Try to use these at least once this year if you can. Yep. Number 10 is Dragoon. Number 9 is Canard. Number 8, Retronym. Number 7, Quixotic. Number 6, Zero Escape. Number 5, Bellwether. Number 4, Lausch. Number 3, Bunkum. Number 2, Meliorism. And number 1, the great enigma, the Octothorpe. <laughs> Amazing. That's it. That's the, well, that uh, was the as much fun as I remembered last year being. This is a really wonderful tradition that uh, you've established for us. I like this list, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it, even though you knew a lot of the words. Yeah, not as many um, as you're remembering. I'm looking through them now. This was a great list. 
Uh, all right, I'll do thank yous. Thank you, Kevin, for doing our uh, Not Top 3 intro music and for doing it kind of after the Not Top 3 this week. Uh, we and appreciate thanks your also for ignoring uh, the, the um, really kind of gross comments we were making uh, around the topic yeah. itself. Apologies. Kevin did not approve us saying the phrase wet-ass pussy. So, sorry, Kevin. Or wet and gushy. Nope, that So, either. sorry about nope. that, Kevin. Yeah, sorry, dude. We don't know, Kevin. Now I thank my sister Erin. We do not know Kevin. No, we don't. We uh, now I usually thank my sister Erin for the artwork. Uh, if, you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen the artwork. It's the best. It's the best artwork you've seen. Very good, uh, very artistic artwork. My sister did that. If you want to see more of her artwork, which is not limited only to podcast artwork, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of it at Sant Design on Instagram. It's a great place to go. Uh, it's, it raises an interesting question, this discussion of social media. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with those commercials where there's the coach teaching you not to be your parents. But uh, Great commercial. Know, yeah, they're great. When they One of them is like, so when I go on the website, will I be hashtagging? I wonder if like, when I go on the website, will I be octothorping? Like, I feel like that's, that's a natural outgrowth of, when I go visit Aaron's website on Instagram, will I be octothorping? Uh, so if you're interested in Octothorping, hit up at, uh, at, uh, I don't remember, um, top 10 KM, uh, 10 TEN. That is our wonderful Instagram, uh, maintained of course by our lovely, lovely social media director, my wife, Caroline Labranti Giuliano. You can also check out what she does for us on our Facebook group which uh, is under top 10 with Kyle and Mike. 10 is also spelled out full on T-E-N. If you want to check out uh, her personal stylings, that is at cml.photos on Instagram. That's a great spot for you to put some money in my perket. Uh, and if you wanted to send us an email while you're uh, octothorping, hashtag in a way, you can send us an email at top 10 at km or top 10 km at gmail.com the 10 is also spelled out there t-e-n and finally after you're done sending us your messages checking out aaron's wonderful stylings caroline's wonderful stylings on zagram and you're looking for a new podcast app you can check us out on the apple podcast app stitcher spotify podbean pretty much wherever podcasts can be found. So friends, it was wonderful to discuss some words with you. And Kyle, that is all I've got to say. That's all there is to say, my friend. Excellent work, Amigo. <sighs> Beautifully done. Well, I, uh, I'm i game to do this again sometime uh, next year. How about next year at the same time? Beautiful. All right. All right. Arrivederci, Amigo. Peace.